This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. What's good, everybody, on this Tuesday? Got Joe Fortenbaugh and Freddie Coleman in for the guys on Fitz and Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Also tell your smart speaker to play ESPN Radio. In about five minutes, give or take a lie or two, we're going to get into the fact of how important is Saquon Barkley to the New York Giants. But according to Kimberly Martin, ESPN NFL reporter, when she's on Fitz and Harry, she believes that the New York Giants should pay Saquon Barkley more money than Daniel Jones. Honestly, if you ask me, Saquon deserves more money than Daniel Jones. I think it, it, Saquon's value to the Giants, to me, supersedes sort of, I understand it's a quarterback, I get it, I get it, but that offense, talking to defensive coordinators throughout the season and covering the Giants in the playoffs, defensive coordinators talked about 26. They talked about Saquon. Joe, I hear where she's coming from because Daniel Jones and his success, a lot of it was predicated in the fact that defenses were so centered and geared up to make sure Saquon Barkley didn't make plays, and he made plays anyway. But he allowed Daniel Jones to have a lot more room, a lot more leeway to make plays. But – in 21st century athletics, in 21st century finances, there's no way, even if a quarterback knows that he is less of a value player in terms of on the field or running back, that he's going to get paid less value than a running back. Yeah, when you talk average annual value, how much a running back is making per year in the NFL, Christian McCaffrey tops the list $16 million per year. For quarterback money, that's nothing. Absolutely. Per year. That's backup money. And that is the top, the very top of the echelon. Alvin Kamara comes in next at 15 million. Then you got 12 and a half million for Derrick Henry, 12.2 for Nick Chubb. Joe Mixon's at $12 million. Aaron Jones at 12 million. Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, all on the franchise tag at just over $10 million per year. So you want to pay Saquon, sure. But how much do you want to give him? How much do you want to guarantee? $16 million a year like Christian McCaffrey? I don't think he's getting that. Even yeah. though he's had some of the same knocks that Christian McCaffrey has, which is the inability to stay on the field. Barkley's missed 21 of a possible 50 games over the last three seasons. That is going to hurt your value. And the mindset for a lot of teams these days, with the way first-round picks work, is that you're going to have a four-year deal in place for that running back. Mm-hmm. You can use him as much as you want for four years. Yeah. When he reaches that fifth year, you pick up the fifth-year option, and now you have a fifth year. If you still like him and he's still producing, mm-hmm. pick up the franchise tag for the sixth year, and then when you get to year seven, maybe they're on decline, maybe they're not, but hey, head right back to the draft, get a young guy, and start it all over again. Teams are thinking more in that mindset because, let's face it, how many coaches in the NFL really believe? How many general managers in the NFL really believe they're going to be around seven yeah. to ten years, right? It's right. a very fickle business, as you know. This is all the makings of a Giants-Saquon Barkley divorce. Not before the season. I'm not buying that Saquon Barkley is not going to play in the franchise tag. You are not just going to leave that kind of money on the table. Nobody's getting in touch with their inner Le'Veon Bell and not playing a season in the NFL because that end is spectacularly bad for him. When it came to the rest of his NFL career, even though he got his money, got his guaranteed money, but he had no career. Now he's trying to do boxing, UFC, whatever he's trying to do to stay relevant in the sports business. But this is all the makings that once this season is over, that no matter what Saquon Barkley does, I believe the New York Giants have made their decision when it comes to his future. And it's not going to be in New York. They couldn't wait to give Daniel Jones four years guaranteed money. And he got it immediately. 
they're completely waiting on Saquon Barkley. Even if he balls out, Joe, this is all the makings that the Giants are going to do exactly what you believe they're going to do. Have running back by committee, like it's worked in San Francisco, like it's worked in Miami Dolphins, like it's worked with any other team in the NFL that has any kind of chance of believing we value our quarterback, we're going to put pieces around him, not him be the piece to a running back in modern football. All right, so the pro Saquon Barkley staying in New York argument. He played 16 games last year, career-high rushing attempts, career-high rushing yards, 10 rushing touchdowns versus the 11 he had as a rookie. It was a big-time season. This is where it gets really tough, the idea of paying a guy coming off the career numbers. I talk about this book, Soccernomics, all the time. It came out around 2009. It's basically European soccer's version of Moneyball, which we all read about the Oakland A's at the turn of the century. Basically... Teams that don't have the finances to compete with the big dogs, the teams with the deepest pockets, have to find market inefficiencies. And they also have to avoid problems in the market, such as a player coming off a spectacular World Cup. Everyone's believing that, so they want to give him a lot of money. Ask the Los Angeles Angels how they feel about Anthony Rendon right now. Rendon was incredible in that postseason run for the Nationals. They emptied the bank vault, and they're getting nothing, nothing in return. Nothing. There's been injuries. There's been problems. All of it. They overpaid on that deal because they bought at the top of the market. Barkley's coming off a healthy year. He's coming off a highly productive year in a new system. If you threw three years, $36 million at him, $12 mm-hmm. million per year, yeah. does he say yes? Are the Giants interested? The Giants will be interested. I don't think that Saquon Barkley would say yes. Joe Fordenbaugh, okay. Freddie Coleman together on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. You can weigh in as well at Joe Fordenbaugh. That's Joe's Twitter handle. My handle at Coleman ESPN. Don't forget the phone number as well. 888-SAY-ESPN 888-729-3776 Saquon Barkley wants a number Joe that you mentioned three minutes ago. That $16 million Oof. number that Christian McCaffrey has. The problem is the Giants have been notorious for being tight-fisted and tight-wide-ish when it comes to moving money out of their pockets into your pocket if you're not a quarterback. You remember free medium soda day. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) 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 Well, points, well done. Pop culture references never get old here. But for those who don't know, just look that up, and you're welcome from Joe Fortenball as far as that goes. The Giants are not partying with free soda into the money, into the pocket when it comes to Saquon Barkley. They're just not going to do that for a running back. And now they have a head coach that they believe and say no matter who we put in front of Brian Dable, he's going to make it work. If he can make Daniel Jones look like that, I'm not saying that Daniel Jones was spectacular last year, but he didn't look like the Daniel Jones. We saw the first three years of his NFL career where at times he could make a spectacular play and then at times he had never played football before. If Brian Dable is able to do that with a quarterback that the Giants still have worries about, They're not worried about anybody that's going to be brought in to support that quarterback, Saquon Barkley, and his contract demands be damned in New York. This is where the Giants have to become very smart financially with how they want to proceed over the next few years. No doubt. Because now that you've paid the quarterback, you no longer have that luxury that a lot of teams do. Philadelphia had it with Jalen Hurts. You've Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, Justin Herbert with the Chargers. They're on these rookie contracts, which are extremely team-friendly. But you're getting franchise quarterback production, so you're getting what you need out of the position at a bargain rate. So yeah. that's where you spend elsewhere on the roster to give yourself a chance to compete. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. Right. They're paying nothing at quarterback, so they can spend, hopefully, upcoming on guys like Nick Bosa. The Giants right now, according to Track, $4.1 million in available cap space. Fourth least mm-hmm. amount in the entire NFL behind the Raiders, Bucks, and Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs understandable. So you don't have a lot to spend, and you also have to ask yourself, 
are we ready to seriously compete now? Exactly. I know New York fans listening are thinking we're coming off a playoff run. We're only going to get better. I'm here to tell you this isn't any sort of hate whatsoever, but when you go inside the underlying metrics, New York outperformed expectation last year. They had a ridiculous record in one-score games. They're probably going to come back down to earth a little bit this year. So do you want to burn a year like that on a long-term deal for Saquon, Mm -hmm. put more wear on the tires, and then get to a point where in two and three years when you're really ready to make your run – he might be taking up quite a bit of cap space, but not producing to that level on the field. You mentioned this year in Bill Barnwell, who was on a certain show called Freddie and Fitzsimmons, starring two knuckleheads <laughs> named Freddie Cohen and Ian Fitzsimmons last night, even though we both were not there. He had this to say about what the Giants offense could look like if Saquon Barkley decides not to play this year, or what it could look like if they decide to move on from Saquon Barkley. Messy. Messy is the first word that comes to mind. Look at the, the playmakers in this offense. They do not have, number one, a great backup for Saquon Barkley. Matt Breida would probably be the first man up. A very inefficient home run hitter, but an inefficient back. Nowhere near Saquon Barkley's receiving ability. And then you look at the receivers they have for Daniel Jones. Well, Darren Waller's number one, but Darren Waller's missed huge chunks of time over the past two seasons with injuries. A 31-year-old tight end. Those guys typically don't get healthy or play better than they have in the past. Um, the wide receivers, a lot of Paris Campbell's, Jamison Crowder's, a of number twos, number threes, not really that number one receiver they can rely upon. They told us all we needed to know about how they feel about Daniel Jones by what Bill Barnwell just said. In the offseason, Darren Waller, they get him from the Raiders. Jalen Hyde, they draft him out of Tennessee. Jamison Crowder, signed as a free agent. Paris Campbell, signed as a free agent. They re-signed Darius Slayton. They have guys coming back like Sterling Shepard from a torn ACL and also Wondell Robinson. They told Joe everybody who is somebody why they believe that Daniel Jones just put anybody around him and let him play point guard like Patrick Mahomes has been able to do in Kansas City. We're not worried about Saquon Barkley being a centerpiece of this offense anymore. They have already told us, Joe, they've already moved on from that in their minds, how they feel about Saquon Barkley and how they feel he can be affected with the Giants anymore. I would agree. When you have to figure out how best to allocate your resources, in this case, your cash that you can spend on players, you got to make tough decisions in a lot of these spots. And with what a guy like Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco. Absolutely. What Sean McVay is doing with the Rams. That's what Mike McDaniel is going to do with the Dolphins. You don't need to develop and spend a lot of your assets and resources on the running back position. It's unfortunate because it doesn't right. mean running backs aren't great. It just means if you have to choose, you can scheme up a good running game. I know yep. that sounds easier said than done, yep. but I was in San Francisco for six years. I was there when Kyle Shanahan first got there. The amount of running backs that produced yep. at a above league average level in that system speaks to the volumes of scheme, play design, and play calling. And it's amazing because the 49ers in the 80s did that with Joe Montana. They didn't have that great guy until they drafted Roger Craig out of Nebraska, but they had guys like Bill Ring and people like that. They focused on short passing game, Joe Montana, receivers and tight ends, and the running game, they said, we'll figure that out, but we're not going to pay that guy or have that guy being the one back in that offense. Great stuff by Joe Fortenbaugh and Freddie Coleman in for the guys today on Fitz and Harry. And the P word that has my brother Joe Fortenbaugh feeling like another P word. That comes your way next on ESPN Radio. The Sixers have consistently been in the playoffs. That's not losing culture. This entire process started by losing. Bad decisions got the Sixers to this place. Nothing else. Jimmy Butler is a winner. He was on your roster. You can't recognize the winners when you see them. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
The Sixers have consistently been in the playoffs. That's not losing culture. This entire process started by losing. Hey, everyone, stick with us here. We're going to do a ton of losing. What are people talking about? That's what I'm saying. So like, I, I, I you're hear winning. people saying, like, you're close and you're trying to get over the hump. Rome wasn't built in one day, so there's a process. Bad decisions got the Sixers to this place. Nothing else. Bad decisions and picking the wrong players to go to war with. Jimmy Butler is a winner. He was on your roster. You were staring him in the face. You chose Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris instead because it is a losing culture. You can't recognize the winners when you see them. So let me get this straight. Joe Fortenball got under the skin of Chris Carlin and Jay Williams from Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. Well done by Joe Fortenball. Joining me, Freddie <laughs> Coleman here on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio as well as the ESPN app and Series X and Channel 80. So if you don't believe Joe Fortenball that he is perturbed about the process, I told you about the other P word. I wasn't going to use the P word you thought I was going to use. <laughs> if you thought he's perturbed about the process that has led to the 76ers not getting out of the second round, well, former 76ers head coach Doc Rivers agrees with Joe, sort of. You can feel it all through the organization. You know, Elton, uh, when he brought me in, that's what he told me. This is not just about coaching this team. We're bringing you in here to change the culture. He meant everywhere. And he allowed me to come in and we looked through the whole organization. I'm talking about trainers, equipment managers, everybody. If you're not on board, if you're not trying to win, if that's not what you're breathing every day, for me, it's time to go. And I meant that with everybody in the organization. And overall, I thought we were starting to get it done. You could see the change in the culture. It still has to get better. And if that happens, then they have a chance. If it doesn't happen, they're not going to win. It has to keep growing. And that's exactly the point I've been trying to make for years on this. Mm -hmm. Carlin's not wrong. They made bad decisions on players. He's right. right. Jay Williams making the point that Rome wasn't built in a day. I, I disagree with that. You've had plenty of time. It's not as if... This was a team that was a lottery team last year, and now this year they got to the second round of the playoffs and were upset they didn't go further. Six straight years they've been in the postseason. They've never gotten to the championship rounds. They've never gotten to the conference championship, during which time 14 of the 30 NBA teams have been there. So it's not a huge ask. Half the league has done what you have been unable to do during this stretch where you've been trying to win. So be it. Rivers is right, though. The problem with this organization is that they are rooted in losing. Mm -hmm. It started with the process where they were planning to lose a ton of games. And they never considered the idea that it wasn't as easy as flipping a switch. Joel Embiid is the face of the process. Joel Embiid, would you argue he's a killer like Kobe Bryant? He is a phenomenal player. But you go back through MVP history. He's not a killer like Kobe Bryant. He may not even be a killer like Tyrese Maxey. Exactly. He needs Help. He needs someone like a butler, a true killer that can put him over because they've never learned how to win at the biggest level. We saw that in game six against the Celtics. They scored three points in the final four minutes and 30 seconds of a home game that would have closed out the Celtics and gotten you to the conference finals for the first time since 2001 with Allen Iverson. They folded up shop. Embiid couldn't make the plays, Harden couldn't make the plays, and then predictably the team folded up shop in Game 7 and lost. It's the same story every year, just with a new twist. Perhaps it's an injury or a missed shot or someone else makes a big shot, but they can't get over it, Freddie, because the culture is still rooted in that losing that came from the entire trust the process era. Two problems, not with you. 
But why the? Uh, I have problems with you, but not with this. You know, <laughs> two problems that the 76ers have been able to have them leading to this situation, not getting out of second round, Joe. Number one, they had Jimmy Butler in their possession. He wasn't looking to leave. Joel Embiid did not want him to leave. And the minute that they decided that they didn't want Jimmy Butler and his kind of culture affecting their culture, that's why Joel Embiid was somewhere in the fetal position crying his eyes out because yep. he knew that was going to be a great chance for him to not be just a guy just getting to the second round, but a guy that was going to be a ride-or-die dude with him. That's number one. Number two, now that here they are, and people wonder should they keep these two together, meaning Joel Embiid and James Harden, they have no choice because anybody else they want to get, they can't get right now in Philadelphia. Any other superstar is not going to leave his team to join it with Joel Embiid, and they don't have enough in terms of draft capital to go out and get somebody else to make that work. The only way this is going to get better for them to finally get above the wall that has been the second round, they've not been able to get past, Joe, they got to believe for all intents and purposes that Nick Nurse is the guy. And if you're Nick Nurse, you got to look at, you got to look James Harden in the eye and say, dude, I need you to be that playmaker. I would run on a loop. You see game one, game four, and game five in the Eastern Conference semifinals against Boston? I want to see that guy. And then you have another piece of tape for him, Joe, and you run loop on game six and game seven. And you say, that's not the guy I want to see when it comes to James Harden. They got to make sure from this point on that James Harden has to be more playmaker and get other guys involved to be that third option. And Tyrese Maxey should be the second option and Joel Embiid should be the first option. If James Harden is unable to do that and they keep him for that kind of money, then they get what they deserve when it comes to Philadelphia 76ers being a team that's a playoff team but not getting past the second round. There's a moment in, I believe, game one of this year's NBA Finals between the Heat and the Nuggets. Nuggets are blowing out the Heat. They find themselves up by 21, I think it was at one point, maybe 24, going into the fourth quarter. And Miami's stage is a little bit of a comeback. It gets to a point where, don't quote me on this, but I think they shrunk the lead down to eight or nine. I know because I was laying the nine and a half, I was sweating this from a betting perspective, but that's neither here nor there at the moment. Of course you were. But right when it gets to that moment, the next two possessions... Nikola Jokic, the two-time MVP, took the ball, didn't bother with anybody else, made a move down on the baseline, and put up a bucket, followed by another bucket, followed by a Miami timeout. He stretched it right back to 13. Yeah, That's the guy they need. They need the guy that recognizes the moment when it's either getting away from you or the moment when it's time to finish it off. Right. And they need that guy to rise up and take charge. Kobe Bryant did that. LeBron James does that. Michael Jordan did that. You can go through all the greats. The Sixers just don't have that. When they needed Embiid to close out game six, he was nowhere to be found. And then after the game, he says, you know, I'm surprised they just, they weren't getting me the ball. Son, you're the MVP. You tell them to give you the ball. You're telling me in that final 430, there were no timeouts. There were no clock stoppages. There were no free throws where you could address everyone and say, get me the ball. That's on you. You have to take over in that moment. And he didn't. And that's fine. It's fine if you're not that guy, but they need someone who is to get them over the hump. This is not about getting to the second round of the playoffs. It's about getting to the championship rounds. And for them to get to that next step, they need the killers who know how to win in the big spots. That's what's been eluding them. When they have those guys, they choose other people. 
Yep. Look at the Markel Fultz draft pick. You had a guy from Duke and Jason Tatum. You had a guy from Kentucky and De'Aaron Fox. You go with Markel Fultz from Washington. Didn't win anything there. When the Ben Simmons draft pick came around, he's from LSU. Couldn't even get him to the tournament. I know. And you go with him. It's, this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying the losing culture. You don't recognize the winners, the guys that can get you over the top. Miami's filled with those guys. Mm-hmm. Filled with guys that couldn't make it anywhere else. But in Miami, they succeed because Miami can identify these personality traits that will put you over the top in the crucial moments. One thing before we move on from this, one thing about Philadelphia, you can't have front runners more than ever before. You got to have guys that say, no matter what happens, I'm going to be that dude. And they don't have that. The Knicks have it more than they do with Jalen Brunson. Yes. He would not let them lose. And he almost single handedly got them to a game seven when he was playing on a bum ankle in game six versus the Miami Heat. As long as you have guys that talk about it and they don't be about it and they refuse to listen to anybody that tries to get them to that point, then you have what you have. Joe Fortenbaugh being very perturbed about the process in Philadelphia. You Joe, remember? I'm sorry to jump in. I want to throw you one more example if you're okay it. with it. How about it? Remember game seven against Sacramento, what Steph Curry did? First round of the playoffs? Oh, absolutely. Drops mm-hmm. the 50-burger. Absolutely. That was a game where someone needed to assert their dominance. Yep. Steph stepped up and let everyone know, mm-hmm. I'm finishing this off. 50 points in a game seven against an upstart Kings team that was at home, Freddie Cole. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And how about Jason Tatum, 16 points in the final four minutes? in an elimination game when he played horrible the first three and a half quarters, and then he put up a 50-burger the next game in Game yes. 7 that sent Philadelphia away. Great stuff by Joe Fordenball. Joining me, Freddie Coleman. Thanks for joining us on Fitz and Harry. So now the College World Series that everybody was talking about ended yesterday. You know what that means? Not a great barbecue, but a great summer leading to a great fall. We'll get to that next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. If we're going to talk about Alabama football, you know we need St. Paul and the broken bones from the great state of Alabama. Joe Fortenbaugh, Freddie Cohen together on Fitz and Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Series X and Channel 80. You heard the LSU Sports Radio Network, so now the LSU won the College World Series. That means we are less than a little bit of time away from the beginning of the college football season, and we get ready for everybody with that when it comes to our man Paul Feinbaum from the Paul Feinbaum Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and the SEC Network. Paul, what is the biggest storyline? We're still days away from week zero, but for your money, what is the biggest storyline heading into the college football season? 
Freddie, can Nick Saban stop Kirby Smart? And I never thought I would be saying something like that, but uh, Kirby Smart is is on the precipice uh, of doing something that Saban couldn't do 10 years ago with Kirby Smart as his defensive coordinator, and that's win three straight national championships. He'll be the favorite. I know the odds are against it, but that's really become the storyline in an SEC that has been owned by Nick Saban for about 20 years, and now it's whether Nick Saban can find his way back and win another one. Paul, I look at Alabama. I see a team that lost two games last year, and I see a team that, when losing those two games, had the number one pick in the NFL draft in quarterback Bryce Young as one as one of the best defenders in the country in Will Anderson. Both guys are gone. What's going to prevent Alabama from dropping a couple games this season as well? I know the home schedule is favorable with Texas and LSU coming to town, but is the roster better this year than it was last year? It is not. Uh, and listen, on draft night, uh, a lot of people were shaking their heads going, how did Alabama lose a game uh, with the number one offensive player and the number one defensive player? But but they not only managed to lose two games, uh, both on the final play, as Nick Saban likes to say, mm-hmm. they nearly lost three other games. Uh, they won two other games on the final play and then uh, had to hold Ole Miss on a drive in, in Oxford or they would have lost that. So I think that's really the, the, the tale of the tape. I think uh, Saban realized he needed to make some changes. He he essentially pushed two coaches out. Now, Bill Belichick might disagree on that since he, he hired the offensive coordinator that every Alabama fan wanted out yeah. of Tuscaloosa. And uh, the defensive coordinator left on his own will. Now, the question is, are, are those two replacements going to be better? Because the, to me, the, the issue at Alabama has not so much been on the field. It's been on the sideline because the coaches have not been as good with all the turnover and transition that occurs when you're Nick Saban. Paul Feinbaum for the Paul Feinbaum Show with Freddie Coleman and Joe Fordenbaugh and Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. You mentioned Georgia. How did they find a way to get past the tough offseason after the championship season, Paul, that they had making it back-to-back? Freddie, uh, Kirby Smart told me recently that it's the toughest six months uh, he's ever had in his life. And you know, people say, what are you talking about? Shouldn't it be great? Well, uh, on the very night that Georgia was celebrating the national championship less than a week after winning it in L.A. Uh, they lost not only uh, a star player, but uh, pers- uh, an important personnel uh, administrator. Uh, and, and it was very difficult. On top of that, uh, you had the, the Jalen Carter uh, issue when, 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 when he got in trouble. I know that was after the fact, after he find, uh, other players that has come out, as, as ESPN has reported, but he's dealt with it very well, and it's a bad situation, but, he, but he's handled it, and now it's simply a matter of turning the page, as every college football coach does this time of the year. If you look at the odds board in Las Vegas, top four teams to win the title, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. Let's turn to the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan. Ryan Day's had a lot of success, but he has lost two years in a row to Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. What do you think happens if Day loses to Michigan again this season? Oof. There's going to be a lot of pressure, uh, and, and, and Joe, on shows like Freddie, that would be become a major issue. They might uh, <laughs> give the NBA, the NBA a break. Uh, and I was asked that question last year, and I, and I, I said there's no way Ryan Day will be on the hot seat. If, uh, if, he, if he loses three straight, uh, he's going to be on the hot seat. You cannot do that, uh, especially against a coach that – a couple of us, me and me, me in, in particular, used as a punching bag mm-hmm. uh, until about two years ago. You talk about a transformation. Jim Harbaugh has done that, and you know, I believe this game is in Ann Arbor, uh, and Michigan is expected to be outstanding, as Joe said. Uh, I, 
I, I don't exactly know what the quarterback situation will be for Ohio State, but if you can, if you can say I don't know about that, but I know about everything else, Ohio State looks like the best team in the country until we can uh, outside of the most important position. I mean, they are loaded. Paul Feinbaum for the Paul Feinbaum Show on Fitz and Harry, Freddie Coleman, and Joe Fordenball on ESPN Radio. There always seems to be those expectations for Texas. We've always heard they're back, they're on the come up, but yet they go, <laughs> they go eight and four or nine and three or seven and six, and they're firing coaches and they're firing people. I know that Steve Sarkeesian believes, Paul, that he has them on the right track, but if I tell you what are the expectations for Texas in their final season before going to the SEC, what would be your answer? It's really simple. Uh, they need to win the Big 12 because anything short of that is going to be considered a flop. I say that because you know they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country uh, on, on, on the roster in Quinn Ewers. They've got the best prospect we've seen in many, many years uh, in Arch Manning. Uh, they've got talent. Uh, they just can't seem to ever get it done. Remember last year, they had Alabama beaten yep. uh, with a backup, and then here comes, here comes Bryce Young. That won't be the case this year when the game is in Tuscaloosa. But they, they always manage to blow games on the road uh, in the Big 12, some at home as well. And, and I, I think the heat is on for Steve Sarkeesian to finally get over the hump because if they can't get over it in the Big 12, and they haven't won it, I don't think, in 12 years, how are they going to do it in the SEC, Freddie? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful the, question. Yeah, the, the answer, 7-6 and six going to the Citrus Bowl. That'll be the answer as far as that goes <laughs> when the University of Texas. Always appreciate you, Paul. Matt, you the great work, partner. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Hey, Paul Feinbaum joining me and Joe Fordenbaum, Fitz and Harry. And yeah, he, he's spot on. If they, Joe, if they can't get this done in the, in the Big 12, then they get to the big old big bullies in the SEC. Good luck too. They'll be firing coaches every day at Texas yeah, at that the point. Thing, the thing with it is, it's it, Oklahoma isn't even the threat they used to be. Lincoln Riley's gone. Exactly. The, the Sooners team took a step back. That's so a good you're point. looking around. If you can't navigate this, you're going to move into a conference where every single week you're going to be at Texas A&M. You're going to be mm-hmm. hosting LSU. You're going to be at Georgia. Mm-hmm. You're going to travel to Florida. Yeah. It. it it, it, every week is a war in that conference. Every week, even the low, lower level teams in perception, Ole Miss, they're going to give you a run for your money. Absolutely. And now you got Hugh Freeze at Auburn. You know he's going to get that turned around as far as that program is concerned. Believe me, hey, Texas, you may long for the days of the, of the Southwest Conference, much less the Southeastern Conference. You don't pick it up in your final season in the Big 12. Joe Ford and Bob Freddie coming together on Fitz and Harry. And we'll stay with college football. We're going to do the what-if game involving Nick Saban of Alabama, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan, and the Ohio State University. The best part about that is Joe Harbaugh, Joe Fornball is going to bring the numbers regarding that. That's next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Joe Fortenbaugh and Freddie coming in for the guys today on ESPN Radio as well as the ESPN app and Sirius X-Men Channel 80. Don't forget to tell your smart speaker to play ESPN Radio. 15 minutes away from one of the best players in the NFL, 
may not be on an NFL field in 2023. That comes your way in about 15 minutes. But we're less – I don't know how many days away, Joe, we're from college football. I just know it's less than 80. That's all I 60. care about right now. It's it's 60 exactly? 60 days until week zero, oh, which isn't the most man. robust of slates, but – I don't care. I'll find a way to bet on all of them. Yeah, I bet you will. Let it wash all over you, whether you have money or not, when it comes to 60 days until the college football season and week zero. But we just had Paul Feinbaum. Paul! From the Paul Feinbaum Show, weekdays on ESPN Radio from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. He joined us about 10 minutes ago, and we wanted to know an answer to this question. According to him, what is the biggest storyline heading into the upcoming college football season? He said, Can Nick Saban stop Kirby Smart? And I never thought I would be saying something like that, but uh, Kirby Smart is, is on the precipice uh, of doing something that Saban couldn't do 10 years ago with Kirby Smart as his defensive coordinator, and that's win three straight national championships. He'll be the favorite. I know the odds are against it, but that's really become the storyline in an SEC that has been owned by Nick Saban for about 20 years, and now it's whether Nick Saban can find his way back and win another one. So let's start with the odds. Georgia, an overwhelming favorite to win their third consecutive national championship at plus 220. That means a $100 wager returns $220 in profit. Alabama at 6-1. to Ohio State plus 750. Michigan, plus 800, mm-hmm. LSU, plus 1,200, USC, plus 1,600, which is a $100 wager, returns $1,600 in profit. Here's the thing about Georgia. The schedule, Freddie, yeah. is fantastic. Oh, yeah. They don't play a big out-of-conference game like you see a lot of teams do in that week one matchup. Right. No, they They're going to open at home against UT Martin, Win. home against Ball State, Blowout. home against South Carolina, destruction. home against UAB. You know, complete destruction. Although UAB okay. won't be bad this year. A lot of young talent. Trent Dilfer yeah. in his first year at UAB. But probably not ready to take out Alabama no. in Athens just yet. No, not at all. You're going to be on the road for the Auburn game. Okay. They'll be better. You're going to be on the road at Florida. They'll be a little bit better. You'll be on the road at Tennessee. They're breaking in a new quarterback. Defense has some issues, but there is no LSU on the schedule. There is no Alabama on the schedule. You should have no problem winning all these games. Worst case, maybe you lose one and then you're in the playoff and right. you become extremely destructive. Right. Alabama is a slightly different story. While the key games do happen at home, they do have to host LSU. They do have to host Texas. They are in a situation where they're hosting Tennessee. They're going to be mm-hmm. at Texas A&M, who was one play away from beating them last year Absolutely. and beat them in College Station two years ago. What stands out to me about Bama is what we talked about with Paul. They lost two games last year, and that was with Bryce Young, the number one overall pick in the drafted quarterback, and with Will Anderson, the top defensive player manning the linebacker unit. Those guys are gone. Their replacements aren't as good. The quarterback situation hasn't even necessarily been settled yet. You've got those key games at home, but I don't know. I don't know, Freddie. You lost two last year, and you had three others that came down to the wire that were one-score games. Mm -hmm. Georgia, big edge over Alabama, in my opinion. And, and they should be number one. I'm with you on that one. And here's something else. And we were able to see Nick Saban in modern football just with the times. When everybody was running spread and three wide, four wide, he was stuck. We're going to run the football. Our quarterbacks are not going to make mistakes. We're going to have linebackers weighing 260 pounds. We're going to pound people to death. It's kind of hard to pound people when you can't catch them. And he said, I'm not going to get out run. Then you had Lane Kiffin coming in, and he changed the offense. Then Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian. You had those guys that brought him into the era of modern football. I want to see when he gets into the modern era of college football and defense because that's what you're going to need to do. Yeah, the linebackers are smaller, but more than ever before, you just can't have four D-backs, three linebackers, and four down linemen, or three down linemen running the three-four defense and four D-backs. 
in shootout football. And the SEC is now shootout football. Yes, where sir. Just about every team has a quarterback and receivers that will scare you to death. I can't wait to see if Nick Saban can make that adjustment to modern defense with modern football being so wide open. Yeah, the quarterback issue is going to play quarterback. That's a problem. But Tyler Buckner, the quarterback from Notre Dame, is coming there. The offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, left Notre Dame to come to Alabama. So you expect him to be the starting quarterback. But how can Nick Saban, who was so good at making that adjustment, he kind of ushered in modern SEC offensive football by making that change. Can he keep up with the times and do that on defense, especially in that league and in modern times in college football? One of the other teams you got to watch out for who we mentioned, and Alabama's going to travel to play him, is Texas A&M. Don't yeah. get caught up in a situation where just because a team looked great last year, they're going to look great this year. Yep. Or in A&M's case, because they struggled last year, they're going to struggle this year. Absolutely. They're a young team, or they were a young team. They're bringing a ton of experience back. I was talking to man myth legend Joe Tessitore the other day. He's been going through <laughs> doing all his prep on the SEC, getting ready for the year. Yeah. A&M was the team that jumped out to him. Okay. He, he had a lot of positive things. This isn't to say A&M's going to win the SEC, but do not let – what happened last year yep. necessarily affect your viewpoint of them this season. And oh, by the yep. way, I don't think Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers are going to be taking a step back this year. No, not With at what all. he did in year one, they're only going to get more dangerous. That opening week game at uh, at Florida or in Orlando against Florida State, that game is huge. Massive game. We saw what happened last year when they almost went to overtime before they Oof. missed the extra point when it comes to LSU losing to Florida State. Joe Fortenbaugh, Freddie Coleman together, and Freddie Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio. You made something jump into my head when you mentioned about LSU not taking a step back and Texas A&M jumping up that a people, people should be keeping their eye on, Joe. And that Nick Saban used to be able to out-recruit those teams. Yeah. Anytime he had a big-time recruit, they will have LSU, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M second on their list. Now Alabama's become second and third on a lot of lists when it comes to offensive players. And that is something as well that Nick Saban better be able to rectify because the last thing you need is that you get the second or third best player and Georgia and LSU or somebody else is getting that best player when it comes to a kid that you really want and really need to make sure that Alabama football gets back to where they want to be. Okay, so I've got a theory. I don't think it's a unique theory, but it's a theory, and I'm not saying this is the problem for Saban. It could be, but I'm not saying it's necessarily the problem. NIL has changed everything. No doubt. Some of the teams, and especially in college basketball as well, that were operating at such a high level for so long, they had kind of figured out, in my opinion, they had figured out how to let's say, take care of the players better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And now that all that's out in the open, it's leveled the playing field. And it's made it extremely difficult for the teams that were better at taking care of the players pre-NIL in nowadays era. Yeah, because kids nowadays, they know about your national championships, but just like the old Janet Jackson song, when they go to Nick Saban, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) They're singing that. And Nick Saban doesn't know, at least right now, how to try to find a way to keep up when it comes to that monetary situation, NIL in college athletics. Joe Fortenbaugh, Freddie Coleman together. Thanks for joining us on Fitz and Harry. It is running back day at ESPN Radio, but the best one in the league, in my opinion, may not be there to start the season. We'll tell you who that is next on Fitz and Harry. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 